the willpower is not developed by thinking about it. Thinking about it. The willpower is developed by doing things. So wherever the doing can be done, that willpower will be put in, you know, for right purposes, it will be like that. So where our resistance comes from is because we like to think about things, but the, when it comes to the doing, we are not sure what to do. So if that's the case, we may need the help of somebody who is a good doer, I would say. Welcome to A Way of Thinking. I'm your host, Jessica Huang. This podcast is a place of exploration to learn and grow from each other on the journey to becoming our best selves. My own journey has taken me from a decade-long corporate finance career to living in my dharma as a self-love coach. I help people move from an unfulfilled career to following their dharma into a meaningful and aligned career and life. Now let's dive into today's show. Our guest today is Prem Sada Shivananda. Prem is a direct and long-term disciple of Swami Vishnu Devananda, the disciple of Swami Shivananda. He served as a sannyasi for over 24 years in the Shivananda organization and was the director of the Shivananda centers in New York and London. Prem is a scholar of Vedanta philosophy Hindu scripture and Sanskrit, and holds an MA in Sanskrit. He is a trained musician holding uplifting satsangs and kirtans. He has taught hundreds of yoga teacher training courses through the Shivananda organization and continues to share his wealth of knowledge through his many courses on the yoga scriptures, the Bhagavad Gita and Yoga Sutras, meditation, positive thinking, Anger Management and Relationships. He is the author of Empower Your Life and Open Your Heart to Love. He is based in New York City. So welcome to the show, Prem. Thank you so much. Thank you, Jessica. So I would love for you to start our session with a prayer. Okay. Om. Om. Om Gangapataye Namaha, Hungungurabhyo Namaha, Om Aim Saraswatiay Namaha, Om Sahana Vavatu, Sahana Bunaktu, Sahavir Yankaravahai, Tejaswinavadhita Mastu, Mavid Vishavahai, Om Shantishantishantihi, Om Peace, Peace, Peace. Posad Guru Shivan Maharaj Ki Jai. Thank you so much for that. I'm so excited to have Prem on our show. So Prem and I actually met in our laundry room because we happen to live in the same building in New York City. So such a wonderful coincidence. I don't know if there are really coincidences, but such a wonderful encounter that we happen to live in the same building. And so I often run into Prem on the streets or in the laundry room still today, but it's been so wonderful getting to know each other and spending time together. So I am really, really excited to have you on the show today. And I have also been reading Prem's book, Empower Your Life, this beautiful orange cover here. And it has been a remarkable book. I 
you know, you guys um, in the podcast can't see it, but my book is filled with all these little uh, stickies so I can note all these different pages because I was just having so many moments where I would go, oh my God, what an amazing thing written here. So that is, it's been so wonderful getting to experience so much uh, through Prem's book. And so today I'm really excited to share a little bit of the wisdom that Prem has in this book and that he shares through all of his courses. And yeah, I'm just, I'm so excited to dig in. So Prem, the first thing that I really wanted to talk about is this idea of the power of our thoughts, how our thoughts become our reality. So this was something that you talk a lot about in the beginning of the book and like kind of the energies behind our thoughts and so forth. So I would love for you to share a little bit about that. Uh, first of all, I want to thank you, Jessica, for inviting me. I'm very excited to share some of these ideas with your audience. As you just introduced us nicely, we have met by coincidence in a laundry room. And I think um, even though we talk about and we use the words such as coincidence, chance and, you know, accident in, in the teachings of yoga, we say that everything is the result of thoughts. So on some level, there must have been some, you know, alignment of our thought processes to meet because we do share the same kind of a, a background in spirituality, you're Dharmamitra's student and you're exploring meditation and different practices. And, and this is also my realm. I mean, this is my life. And so it is really wonderful. And thank you for actually introducing the book. This book is uh, the result of of classes that I gave at some point in the Shivananda Yoga Center over six months. And I just want to share a couple of minutes uh, of how it came about. Uh, for one, I always wanted to write a book that could be uh, kind of a, a book that people could use as a self-inspirational book and which will also have some techniques and practices. But it's also a book for people who would like to teach it to other people. Like sometimes you have to take several books to teach something about willpower or any of the other subjects that are mentioned there. So it's a good manual, I would say. And it's really a compilation of the teachings of Swami Shivananda and that I've gathered over the time. And uh, when I began this course, it was supposed to be only a one-month course for four classes. So when I finished, uh, the student said, okay, so what are you going to do now? And you can't just let us, you know, you can't just tell us that the course has ended. So what else are you going to teach us? And I said, okay. So I had to like pull out some documents that I had from before from different workshops. And that's how it came about. So the the most, I uh, would say, important subject of spirituality in general is the study of thought. I mean, we could define spirituality as working with thought and changing the vibration that we have, aligning our thoughts with the highest you know, ideals that we have, the highest uh, whatever we cherish the most. And also living in the probability that we can kind of realize what we really aspire for by appropriately engaging the power of thought. And I think majority of people are not really aware of 
uh, of the power of thought. Sometimes they believe they're real, sometimes they believe they're unreal. Of course, in the situations where some some challenges challenges come into our life, we would like those things to kind of dissipate quickly, and we would like that certain thoughts of ours are not real, such as if we don't like somebody or hate somebody. We don't want really our thoughts to harm somebody. But in many situations, we really, in a positive sense, we would like our thoughts to come about and we want them to be real. So we want to, if we pray for somebody, we want that thought to manifest. If we are searching for something, some people are searching for a partner or some financial security or even different spiritual you know, goals they may have, they want really the thought to operate. Now, the first principle, of course, is to remember the thoughts are powers. And they're powers beyond our imagination. And we say that it's through the power of thought that we, that we realized or manifested our life as it is without knowing that at this given moment because everything that we are is the result of our thoughts going way back. And we say in yoga that we've lived many lifetimes we inherited different talents, different weaknesses, and so on. So each life is an opportunity to grow further. And it's all based on the power of thought. Now, other thoughts are visible, first of all. They are visible to certain people. Uh, we may say clairvoyant people, but at the same time, we have to remember here that not all clairvoyant people are equal in their power of what they can see. And there are many, many kind of a conditions for seeing really the reality. And we could say that there are masters who are able to see that quite clearly. And the interesting thing is that thought is connected to time. Uh, the, the movement of thoughts creates events in time and creates a sense of uh, duration, which we categorize as time and the space. So even our perception of time, space, things and events is nothing but thoughts manifested. And how interesting that is, is that these are powers, these are, we can call them energies. They, they're like uh, people, they're like beings. They have certain qualities, you know, they even have colors, they dress them in a certain way without us knowing any of that. So when you have a thought, you like you, you kind of have given a birth to a, a, an entity, which is like a baby. So depending on s several factors, for example, if there's an emotional charge, if there's a certain like convincement, if emotion is a very big part of the materialization of thoughts, if there's, uh, you know, certain direction and clarity, and our purity also of our own mind, thought can manifest very quickly. So what happens is the thought kind of is created on some very subtle level, and then as it becomes uh, more defined, it becomes, uh, you're adding, you think of it more often, you're kind of adding a little weight to it. Mm -hmm. It's like when you're eating cookies like that, so it comes in a subtle way, becomes a little bigger, and heavier and it starts to descend and in the descent of thought we start to see a first materialization 
So thoughts are at first very abstract and very, you know, refined. But then if we dwell on a particular subject or desire for a very long time, it's going to act as a, a little magic wand. It's going to be attracting different uh, elements to complete its uh, whatever the function is going to be. So the thought doesn't act by itself. It's part of a larger reality where it, where from it derives different elements that it needs to materialize that thing. There could be different kinds of beings, entities, um, places in the astral world, which where the thoughts are manifested primarily in feelings, and. Uh, when the right moment comes, it materializes. But sometimes it may take a very long time for certain thoughts to materialize. materialize. For example, we have to be careful because sometimes we can have positive thoughts and that's wonderful, but majority of people really have primarily negative thoughts. Mm -hmm. So when you think a negative thought, what it does, a kind of groups with other negative thoughts of other beings and reinforces that particular entity that is now commonly shared by many minds. So you can accidentally cause somebody to do something bad even by adding your own little bit to that. But mm. I'm not going to frighten people because we're here to think about positive things. So uh, the idea is also that we're not really living in a, in a kind of isolated world. Everything is shared. And so all these thoughts are like that. So they, they act as magnets, or you can say as um, um, some kind of raiders. They're kind of looking and searching for certain influences that are similar in vibration to, the, to that particular thought. And that's how it starts to get bigger. So then, of course, as you know from the book, each thought has a lifespan, it's got a certain weight. We even talk, oh, today I'm so light, I can fly. Next, sometimes you're depressed and you say, okay, I cannot even lift myself. And it's not about the change of weight that took place in two days. And, and so all of these qualities of a thought, which are very similar to any object, but of course thoughts are very very kind of subtle elements or subtle other objects, they have all the, they have colors, they have different things. So this is what can be seen. Now, if you don't see these things, you can still understand that that could be totally a reality on, on its own, and you don't need to even prove it to yourself, but certain things can be proved. You know, some thoughts follow you through throughout your life. They become so much part of who you are, like yoga. Mm. Right, the right thought with various things. Now, the yoga is attracting some also other things, you know, uh, 200 hours teacher training course, 300 hours. It's like, you know, so it's more of these kind of thoughts. Then scriptures come, then meditation comes, like that. And some thoughts are very fleeting, they come and go, like some small anger here, small this and that, you know. Unfortunately, we're not really aware of our thoughts. So the beginning of spiritual life is to come, uh, to become aware of the thoughts and specifically of negative thoughts because we need to learn how to awaken our ability to react when there's a presence of negative thought and so we can change whatever needs to be changed or simply be aware of it for the time being. 
Whereas most of the people, they think that these thoughts don't have much of an influence on their life and they kind of can be in control of it if they really wanted to, but the truth is that they're not. So um, utilizing every one of these little thoughts for your advancement is important. I love that. It's so funny because we're clearly on some kind of mental frequency because I feel like I was having thoughts about things I wanted you to talk about and then you would talk about them so (laughs) it makes my job very easy over here (laughs) it works that way yes somehow it's strange but um you know we tend to cover yeah if we're in alignment I think we we can call it an alignment thought Mm, yeah so yeah I loved a lot of what you said there I I'm curious about this idea of What can we do to kind of materialize things that we do want to happen? Because I feel like the word dwelling, when you're like dwelling on something that you want to happen, actually causes the reverse of that, right? Like you want it so bad that you're actually maybe blocking yourself. Is that true? Or what is kind of happening there when we're really dwelling on something that we want? Ah, very good. Uh, If we're dwelling on something, we actually we are having a thought with we are sustaining it if we're adding a, an emotion to it an emotion is like a big mover of thoughts and and collector of all the elements that they're needed for the thought to materialize before we want to materialize something we really have to be clear uh, what where the materialization is going to lead us to but we need to actually always check whether this uh particular objective that would like to accomplish or achieve or whatever that thought to materialize we need to make sure that it is of pure nature that is uh, is going to bring happiness to us and to others and this is the first thing to do sometimes it looks like it's just a simple thing for example you can have um, a thought to materialize a lot of wealth now, that can always remain on the level of thought, but you can also work for it and end up having wealth. But if you don't have the right uh, spiritual qualities, the wealth can be a beginning of a, a very bad period in life. Mm-hmm. It's like when people win the lottery, you know, so they've had some karma from past lifetimes. They must have given, and now all of a sudden material is in a moment, and then they lose everything there was a value, friendships and relationships and family, and they got all of this. I've heard quite a few stories like that. So we need to first uh, think deeply of what objectives do we have? Are they kind of, I I use a very old-fashioned term, are they pure in nature? Meaning are they leading you to uh, some, you know, beneficial uh, future and environment or are they potentially ridden with some big challenges for example you want to have a relationship you can have a relationship but whether that relationship is going to be a disastrous relationship if you're not working on yourself for example you're going to be continuing creating something in that relationship which might have been the problem before so it would be actually useful to think how can i change my own thoughts before i can get there so the manifestation of thought can even with all the best intentions one can have may not uh, happen exactly because everything happens for the best 
and everything happens according to what you really need the most. So you can have desires, but your desires not nece- do not necessarily work in your favor. Mm. And that's kind of what we need to have a discrimination, which is really the first factor. And for working with thoughts, it's always useful to work with yamas, you know, those famous things. Align your thoughts with the highest principles of harmony. Then we can try to materialize because what's going to happen is you're going to start to attract people that can help you materialize that. Like, you know, sometimes you're looking for something and this guy, let's say you want to set up some technical thing and you meet somebody who is already doing or, you know, so that was really my wish. And now you're telling me, oh, this is how you do it. It's really a manifestation of thoughts. But how true, how, how true the thoughts are, we can think in this way also. Let's, let's say when I left the country where I was living, Right, so when I arrived, let's say here, my first thoughts were very much connected with the people I left, the environment I left. So even though I was here, I was thinking more of them than of anything I was just new, experiencing new. And that's because my thought connection was so strong. And then gradually you start to make, you know, use your mind, connect here more and more to meeting people. And gradually that kind of starts to fade out even though it's not necessarily an intention to forget the people there but that's just how the reality works and all of a sudden something new is here for example when i left initially everything that was happening there in my country i was thinking that's important like you know so i would read the news or whatever but then as i started to settle down here so now things became more important here but so working of thoughts and in a way, it's important to, to, to think in that way. Sometimes you can take a silent retreat and you go for seven days or something. And let's say you don't take your phone, you don't read anything that you normally read. So these thoughts start to slowly, slowly fade out. So basically, when you say fading out the temporary reality or what those thoughts represented as faded out for the time being, it's still somewhere in your mind and the news has opened up. So this is how it's important. You're continuously working and changing the reality. Mm. So there's a lot to be said about thoughts. Mm. Yeah, well, it's making me think of like when they say uh, that you should think about as if you already have the thing that you want. So you're getting in the energy of the version of you that is already there. I would agree with that very much so, yes. Okay. You, you kind of, you always have, you're supposed to work, you're always supposed to project yourself a little forward. So if you want to be healthy, you should try to think of and visualize yourself going in that direction, getting the right help and everything. If you want to be financially strong, you want to do the same things. Uh, for us in yoga, the first focus is really spirituality because that's our foundation. And there we want to be the most the powerful and everything. I'm sorry to say that it doesn't mean that other things don't necessarily matter, like money and all these things. We know that they do. But I'd rather work from, from a foundation that is healthy and that actually um, 
you know, covers my needs, my deepest needs, which is to find peace or happiness on my own, even if I don't have everything. And it's all part of the working with thoughts. It's really where your center is. Mm-hmm. And, you know, if you come to America, you live in Manhattan, the center of people obviously is in money. But then with that, there's a lot of anxiety, there's a lot of things. You've experienced this in your work. And I think, okay, that's just what it is. But there's got to be some other things that are important to balance it out. Yeah. Yeah, I love what you were saying there. It's, yeah, it's very interesting, this idea of connecting to what what is real, you know, and, and laying that foundation. I, I would definitely agree with you there that to me, yoga has been kind of the foundation in which I build everything else off of, right? Because it is in taking care of my body, taking care of my mind, that you're then able to create Mm -hmm. from that base. So I can definitely relate to you there, no doubt. But that's coming from two yogis over here. (laughs) (laughs) Awesome. So I would love to get into a little bit more about connecting to this, to our higher selves. So that is another big topic and I know that I'm sure you have tons and tons to say about that, but I would love for you to get a little bit into how do we really connect to that higher, wiser version of ourselves, that the capital S self, if we were. That is a very, very good question. Um, because today, when people use the word authentic self, it can mean different things for different people. For example... As if people think that the authentic self has to do only with freedom of their choice, what they want to do or become. And that's kind of where a little bit of a trap is too, because you could be, there are people who want, you know, all kinds of things that are not necessarily what we would consider to be the, um, the influence of the higher self. So I think the best way to think of it is to initially... Uh, that if your if your um, intentions are or whatever it is that's driving you forward is in alignment with let's say the yamas I would just use them as a classical ethical foundations um, the, the the yamas are very powerful because they are on one hand they're harmonizing a relationship with the external environment. They're allowing you to experience some relative happiness because of that effort that you're making. This is not to say that we have other nature to, uh, in us that needs to be dealt with and it needs to be looked at. And This is not just trying to be an angel. You have to sometimes understand your darknesses and everything. But I think if you align yourself with those principles and, and you keep them like high then you can say, aha, uh-huh, that is my higher self, which is going to direct me where I need to be. Uh, I think it's uh, when, you, when we use the word higher self, we can talk about, in yoga, we talk about the lower and the higher mind. Mm-hmm. So the lower mind is common to all beings because it's the uh, type of a mind that's been built through many incarnations and it's part of the survival mode uh, so all the instincts are there, so different kind of impulses. They're pretty, it's, they're, they run like a small, not small, but a large program in our subconscious mind that is des- you know, designed to protect your life. And that means 
you don't need to protect your life and just be a nice person, right? So you want to protect your life, whatever that takes. So that mind is not the problem in animal world because that's how they live. But when we come to a human world, our human incarnations, then we have two degrees that we have regular kind of humans that can include all kinds of things that will justify, you know, uh, if they want to protect their interest and hurt somebody, it's okay because I'm protecting my interest or my family or whatever. But in the spiritual life, that, that is really where the battle begins, mm-hmm. right? So because you have the influences of your subconsciousness, then you have some reasoning capacity, some conscious influence, which is not really very large in majority of people. And we were trying to move into superconscious in some kind of more intuitional dimension. So I think uh, that's where we experience even the sometimes the problems such as, you know, you're striving on your path for a long time and then something comes and kicks in and knocks you off, like because you don't, you can't even believe it. Some of these, you know, instincts are still so active. And that's normal. So when we think about the lower mind, we, we use two words in Sanskrit, tamas and rajas. Mm-hmm. So tamas represents different forms of inertia in human nature. Either it's in, in a level of ethics or, you know, physical or whatever it is. Some, something has called you down. It's very dense and it doesn't allow for much of an influence of, of a goodwill or interest. So that takes a long time to to purify usually you need some selfless service for a long time and all that all of us do that then you have rajasic principles which are rajas rajas is a kind of a force that throws the mind into a multi-dimensional activities all the time projects this and that and which is wonderful but the the part of the rajas is also selfishness it's like using your creativity in a way that can enslave you even more or it can create problems for other people so it could be healthy it could be unhealthy and we're not talking about the rajas and tamas which are in nature we're talking about in the psychology of an aspirant so this is where we want to go to so there is another quality which is called sattva so this quality is the quality the spiritual quality that's like your higher self manifesting and that is all the drive that you feel like you want to help somebody, you want to live a very like deep life, pure life, you want to make your life into an offering, you know, you want like you you're inspired by various kinds of things. That is the sattvic mind, and that is your higher self, that is an authentic self. And in fact, the authentic self is the same in all people. But it manifests because we have different minds, it manifests in different way in different people which would determine also a type of a life that they're going to live and all of that. So finding the authentic self, I say, it's only possible if you're aligning yourself with the higher or highest principles, even the ones you have not attained, but you're guided by them. Then that makes it uh, that you're able to hear that that's the voice. It's a voice. It's like a voice of conscience. The Swami Shivananda says your highest self is like your friend. It's your philosopher. It's somebody who like prods you to like move and try again. If you failed, you do it again. You do it again like that. It's like with asana. You cannot do an asana. So some voice is telling you, you got to try one more time. 
So the higher self is a, it's an interesting concept because really you can say either lower and higher mind or lower and higher self. Uh, the, authenticity, the authenticity comes from the actual consciousness, which is like a ve- what happens is the consciousness that that reflects through the sattva quality in your life. That is your authentic self. Mm. That doesn't mean that we're going to all live the same lives, but we're going to be influenced by by very high vibrations of the purest thoughts and everything that's out there. Yeah, I love that. It's so interesting because it's like, how do we kind of, because I think your your authentic self is already always sitting there, right, within you. And it's almost like, how do we reconnect to that mm. self? Because we get steered in all these other directions by society. And, and I mean, I would think we would say kind of like our karmas, right? Like mm. all these karmas come in and kind of shield us from our true authentic self. And it's releasing a lot of that mm-hmm. to reconnect to that higher self that's always there within us. Would that be correct? Totally true. The one way to connect with the higher self on a regular basis is to, this is only it's only can be done if a person actually enters the spiritual path. It starts to lead a spiritual life, which could begin with some simple postures, dietary changes, because even that's an influence of a higher. So I know of people here in this building that are working, you know, and they they had they were quite big and, you know, pretty eating really bad food and started to trim their diet and clear it out and everything. So they started to make better choices. So that these choices are the manifestation of that higher self. Now, mm-hmm. of course, you can say on one level that consciousness it does not really do anything, but its influence is felt in the same way as the sun doesn't do anything. But just because of its presence, it makes everything else alive. Mm. So the presence of the consciousness allows for all these thoughts to manifest. And I think uh, that when I say starting a spiritual life, I definitely mean to have a regular meditation practice, even if it's for a few minutes a day, and to have different kind of modalities of the spirituality, uh, you know, in in the day, at least, I don't know, whatever the time people can spend it. But the problem, of course, is that people first are going to enter into a struggle creating the time for something that doesn't necessarily pay back in a visible way. So when you, obviously, when you do postures, it's a little different because you feel better physically. But when you meditate, it takes a little deeper perception and awareness to know, ah, if I meditate, I feel better. But if I don't, I don't really feel quite right. So that subtle change, that's kind of, it's coming. So every day to have that, also it can be done with a prayer. There are people who enjoy prayer. That's a very good way to connect to yourself. Many practices are there. Yeah, I love that idea because it's true. I feel like that first entry is oftentimes the hardest because mm. it is that you're trying to connect to something that you're not seeing the rewards from exactly. So I I like how it's like, well, how can you make it smaller and more manageable to kind of just inch your way into it? Awesome. Yeah, awesome. absolutely. Uh, probably you must have heard how people say so... What do you get when you from that meditation? Like people can be sometimes sarcastic and I say, Well, you can't even measure it, you know. 
It's like when you take some supplements, how do you benefit from this? Sometimes it's hard to tell. It takes time. Yeah, I, I will say it's interesting because for me, I actually did notice, but it was after I had been doing it for a while. And then when I would miss a day, I would notice a difference that I would be harder on myself. I would be much more critical and and I would just have this kind of, I don't know, just rummaging in these negative thoughts much more easily when I wouldn't meditate. And so that actually drove me to meditate more. Awesome, because that's exactly what the lower mind likes. It takes con- it takes control over either negative thoughts or positively egoistical thoughts like Thomas and Regis. Mm. So it's like, um, yeah, totally true. You can tell the difference if you do it regularly. So the regular practice is the key. In a way, if you connect this to the subject of power thought, the thought is like a, a means of communication. So it's like a it's it's like a point of departure of of different forces, right? So even when you meditate, you're still creating something, some vibration, and. I'm not going to into subject of that, what one can attract at that time, but it's important because really our minds are not isolated. And the whole idea of the power of thought tells you that the, what we see as individual minds does not even exist. Mm. We, it's our impression that is so, this is my mind, that's your mind, but really all minds are connected. And India and people all over the world in different spiritual traditions, they knew that. So there was always a tendency to coherent connections, to greater integration, talking about dharma, and then people living more in harmony and connecting with subtle forces and everything. It was so much more part of the traditional living. And today, you know, we are actually not believing it because now we believe in technology, we believe in what other people tell us. So it's a um, it's the same principle we have to kind of use it here that the power of choice needs to be applied to understanding, you know, okay, so this is my higher mind, this is my lower mind. So what should I do? You know, should I eat brown rice or should I eat uh, a muffin, you know, which is ch- chocolate muffin. So what do I do? Sometimes a muffin will win, but sometimes brown rice will win. So I'm not saying you, that's exactly the lower mind, but it is a central mind, obviously. It's a desire mind. Right, right. And sometimes we can't help but choose the chocolate muffin. <laughs> Surely, especially if you had some added blueberry to it. Um, so, yeah, along those lines, I would love to talk about the idea of like connecting to your ideals and your virtues. So you talk about that in the book. Can you speak a little bit to that mm. idea? Very much so. You see, the spiritual life, again, is kind of understanding where you're going. It's a little bit like you can have a car, which can run very nicely, but you may not understand the direction. So imagine a driver who is just driving around, and that's kind of a people's idea of their life, you know? So the life, life is like you're driving kind of activity. So you're going somewhere. And often, because of the lack of some kind of a knowledge, which in this case is a spiritual knowledge, you think I'm driving in the direction of greater happiness, but I'm actually experiencing more misery or difficult, challenging situations and everything, which is everybody's part of life. I'm not denying that. 
But we can also consciously choose to move in a direction of happiness. For that we need to meditate, some asanas are good, all these other things that we practice. So um, the great, I call them the beacon lights of life, are the ideals. So the way that Swami Shivananda talks about ideals is a little different. For one, I just want to say before I get there, is that the majority of people don't put much value on them. They think, well, it's just like, you know, they want to deal with the reality. Mm -hmm. But the truth is that you need to have some central goal, like something that identifies your whole life or your purpose of life. And I think for many people who are, you know, religious by nature would be God in some form or the other. For some people, maybe you call it divinity. For some people, it's just material stuff, you know. They don't really have a central goal, anything else but wanting to make a lot of money or, you know, experience many things in their life. So I think uh, the central goal, the establishing of a central goal is the first thing. So there are different ways to do that also. One can meditate on what is my purpose in life. Somebody can tell you, like you can be in a form of a satsanga, in a company of some spiritual person that is maybe a little bit further away on that path and it can introduce uh, things such as where the true happiness lies, what is your true nature, what is the purpose of this creation, in some ways maybe not so, these words are maybe larger a little bit, and concepts. But we need to think about this. And Swami Shivananda says if you are not able to determine what the purpose of life is, you must meditate on what makes that life unlivable or difficult to live, like unhappiness of different forms, you know, misery, suffering, death, and all these things. Some, the, the proper contemplation of these things can actually put you in the right place to understand that. When you're young, full of energy and everything, you can't even, who cares, you know? There's the, you know, chocolate, blueberry, muffin, no problem, easily. We can just think that that's the purpose of life. It's the pleasures multiplied by two, by three, by four, and we live like that. Until one day we come to a halt, something stops us, we lose somebody, some, you know, some event. And often that kind of an event comes and it turns into spiritual life. For many people that's like a starting point. Or simply a disappointment of some kind. Like I believe you may have found something like this where you just find this is not fulfilling. Like this life that I'm leading, it seems to be just a waste of my energy and my life force and everything, but I'm just what? What am I aiming at? So we all had something like this. Um, so that uh, <clears throat> central purpose leads us to other things. For example, if I have, if my central purpose, it may not be, you don't need to say God, but it could be, for example, happiness or serving people. It could be put in a more kind of a, identifiable goals in a sense and it could be kind of a central for the time being then everything else that I do on the side I'm trying to link that to achievement of it for example I can exercise and do my little things even yoga just to be healthy to look good not in my case anymore but let's say you can do that and you want to do it 
like that. I know people who I see running around, they have like trim muscles and everything. Of course, I don't know about their lives, but I presume that's what they want to do. They really want to look great and feel good. Mm-hmm. And I think that's a good mini, mini, mini spiritual step. It's okay. But for myself, I think, okay, if I want to eat well, what is the next step after that? Why? So obviously I can eat to feel good and everything, but I also want to feel well because I want to be able to accomplish my goal. So I I kind of uh, link everything else that I do to that central goal. So you eat well, you sleep on time, you do your practice and everything. So your spiritual practice becomes a supporting influence of that achievement. So in spiritual life, this is how we have to think, you know. And so the ideals are kind of, a, they're like motivational factors in one's life because we had them ever since we were kids. I remember I used to collect pictures of a tennis player. I had no clue who he was. Today I know he's a Boris Becker. And I, I used to have his pictures and somebody told me you need to have like somebody you know who is really cool. Then I had Bruce Lee, everybody on, on the wall. So he was my next one. So I had like this musicians, you know, and you like, you tune your mind to it, believe it or not. Mm. And maybe these people were not aware of it, but I am starting to play better music. I'm punching the bags better, Bruce Lee, like a, something like that. Or even better, I mentioned one situation which happened in my life. You see somebody who plays music really beautifully and something captivates you, the way they play and the way they move their hands and everything, and you want to copy it, right? So now that's replaced, let's say, with Dharma Mitra for some people. So you watch this man, how he walks, how he holds himself. You know, he's been teaching for 60 years or something, right? We didn't even exist. We were like not even pre-thought at the time. He was already teaching and somebody was so solid and steady. And then you think, I would like to be so solid and steady, right? I would like to be like him, obviously, as a practitioner. But this is how we do it. I met my teacher like this. I was like fascinated by certain things that he taught and he did and everything. And without even... You have to superimpose an image of perfection because that's what an ideal stands for. Even if that person may not be perfect, even if that ideal may not be achievable all the way, but what it does, it slowly transforms your mind, your manners, everything you do, because it's an ideal. You want to be better. I mean, think about the greatest of the sportsmen and women in this world. They're all driven by an ideal or Mm -hmm. some of some perfection. So they think, oh, I have to do this better. I have to hit the ball this way, that way, like this. So it's applicable in both ways. You see, an ideal is like a, something that is transformative in its character. It works very deeply in your mind. It's almost like a little vow that keeps on living for as long as you let it. And it will influence you. And when you look at the person, you can actually almost understand what are the ideals that drive this person forward, mm-hmm. if, if there are any. Sometimes yeah. people don't have them. No, it's very it's very interesting because I feel like it ties exactly to us talking about the thoughts 
becoming our reality, right? And so it is your impression of the ideal of that person, maybe not actually them themselves, but that is what you are actually striving for, right? Is the uh, impression you have of what their ideal format is. And so then you, you in turn, try to become that. So perfect. I mean, just think about also for a moment how people meditate on Jesus. Mm -hmm. And he is not in the physical form of Buddha or something like that. And that's the ideal. And somebody will make fun of them and say, well, that person is not here. Like if it's not palpable, it's not real. But it's actually how it works. Mm, Very interesting. So pivoting a little bit off of that, I really wanted to talk about following your dharma. And so we were connecting on this last week about dharma being the first word of the Gita. And so I I would love to hear your thoughts on what does it really mean to follow your dharma? Mm, That's another wonderful, brilliant subject that comes from all the way from India and comes from the eastern uh, countries anyway, whether it's China or Tibet or Japan, they all have a different version of it. Well, I will say a few words about following dharma and you can say about following dharma mitra. In fact, his name is Dharma Dharma Mitra. It's an interesting name. Um, so, to follow one's Dharma, first of all, you need to know what Dharma is. And now I'm going to put it in a completely different sense. So, Dharma manifests as laws that support the existence of something. And uh, let's say, in a simple way, if you have those beautiful plants there. So the dharma is the law or the laws that support the existence of that plant. For example, how much of a sunlight do they need? Some of It's determined by something that is not human. There's no human influence. The humans only read the laws. So they say, oh, it needs this much light, it needs this much of, a, you know, whatever, of water. So that is kind of a dharma can be spoken like this on a, a little bit more high level. And then we can translate it slowly to what determines our dharma. So the simple, in a simple way to say is the dharmas, dharma is like the laws that not, not just sustain you in a certain, um, uh, you know, in life, but they're also the laws that kind of take you to the next level in your evolution. So there must be promotion-based proper law activities that you want to do. You want to be higher than where you are now. And that is what the dharma is about. So the dharmas are the laws of the self, of consciousness. So we can say also, like in a classical language, I hope nobody minds me saying this, but you have God and you have God's laws. And there's really no difference between the two. Because God manifests through its laws. So the self or consciousness manifests through its laws called the dharma. So when you're aligning yourself with dharma, like say it's some kind of a yama here and there, niyama, something, you're closer to God. You, come, you feel closer to your inner self. You feel, you feel like... So there's a form of an alignment, but there's also, uh, we can so say, um, there's a process of integration of everything that you are, 
all of that should work to your benefit. Now, coming back to your just a general uh, answer, how to find your dharma, uh, how to align yourself. You have to think of the of the best parts of yourself first, meaning where are your strengths? Uh, what particular talents do you have that they feel like they're really driving forces in your life and you want to make them into your main channel of your energy in your life and that's where you put your energy to for example i use your life now as you told me let's say you were working in corporate world and all that and then you decided that that wasn't really all of your dharma some of it was there for a little while so you're finding yourself that this is more like in alignment with yourself as with spiritual people it's like that a lot but even between that they will take different Things and some people may have a very active life outside. Some people may have more of an active life inside. It doesn't really matter. So the dharma generally would be uh, uh, given to us by our spiritual teacher or by our parents that will direct us. Those in those days, mm-hmm. today nobody knows anymore what the dharma is, because you get people who are very talented for something, like they're artists, but they cannot make money on it. So today, the concept of dharma has been influenced by survival thing. You know, yes, it's really wonderful. I'm doing my yoga and I'm doing everything, but, you know, I'm not able to buy things or I don't have enough money. So this has happened even in India. You have a lot of people who are priests. Their dharma comes traditionally through family, and yet they have to do, you know, they have to finish computer programs and, sorry, computer studies or do things that have not, nothing to do with them, but only to make the life. So when we are choosing today what our dharma is, we have to actually make a slight compromise. Because I cannot make the living being a musician Therefore, I do have to have a double job. And I think the Dharma today, maybe too, you have to mix a little bit, but you have to mm-hmm. find an, al- an alignment with your higher values. I think that's what I would say. Not an easy subject, not an easy subject to understand because you say, oh, there's a real life there. I have to pay taxes, I have to do this. And here I am, you know, I'm playing seven hours a day uh, music and I'm very talented and people love me and all that, but it's not helping me much (laughs) pay the bills. So um, we cannot, uh, there's two types of dharma. The dharma, which is of the highest nature, is the spiritual dharma. So you came here to really realize your highest potential. That's full stop. That's the one thing. But we think of our practical dharma, then we have to definitely take into account our, our talents or our where we're really feeling the best, where our energy is flowing. Otherwise, we don't want to be doing something that will be suppressing our natural growth and making us feel miserable. Right. Yeah, it is It is interesting, the kind of like modern society twist to dharma. Can we be able to express our dharma and be able to make money and you know thrive in this modern world? Mm. And it's like, how do we pair that is, I, you know, is a question I think we're all still figuring out, right? So true. But there's one thing you have to also remember. These this dharmic laws, which are subtle, they pervade all existence. And so they're also the forces that determine 
the, um, for example, the seasons, uh, you know, they determine the time when things should come. So I think a good way to align with the dharma, even if you don't know exactly what you want to do in your life, is to first eat well, exercise, because there's the dharmas of your body. So you want to address that too, or think about when you're going to sleep, how you're waking up. So you want to align with the natural laws, which are also dharmic laws. Nature is dharma, so we can learn from nature some aspects of it. And then when it comes to our profession, we need to understand that uh, we should not just follow what our parents necessarily tell us that it's best for making money. They may be right, but if I want to be a lawyer and I really, really rather do something that is uplifting me, even if I'm not going to be a millionaire, that's another interesting thing about dharma, that dharma doesn't mean that you're going to be sitting on tons of cash, as they say here, right? So that means you're just going to do your dharma. For example, as a teacher, sometimes I can make my steady income, but sometimes there may not be a steady income, but I shouldn't leave my dharma just because of that. Now, if it was a desperate situation, okay, I'll find a job at Dunkin' Donuts, but otherwise, no, right? So you have to understand that dharma, the living your dharmic life, is also not free from challenges of that particular path because the challenges are part of your growth too. So we must not visualize or idealize that the, the living a, a proper dharma uh, finding the proper dharmic path for ourselves will be free from obstacles, will be cash in the corner, you know, everything will be flowing, and then if it doesn't, means we're doing something wrong. Hmm. The thought I'm having is that the reason why we would want to follow our dharma is that it is living in alignment with our true nature, right? Yes, is that kind of true. like the reason behind going into that path. Mm. Is that correct? Yes, that's true. You need to live that dharma in a way to support your growth. Because Swami Shivananda defines dharma very easy, easily. It says that which takes you to higher life, that's dharma. That which takes you to lower life, meaning lower forms of living or lower vibration, that is adharma. Yeah. It may be okay for somebody else, but not for you. Mm. So it cannot be universally applied, you know. You can't really tell your cat that he should be meditating. In fact, the cats are meditating all the time. But, you know, we have to do our dharma, they will do their own dharma. But it is truly the recognition of the law. And sometimes to come to a point where you feel that you found your dharma, it may be a long path also, you know. There are many influences that we have. We don't want to disappoint many people. We don't want to also disappoint society. If I tell the society I meditate, now nowadays is okay. But 30, 40 years ago, you were like, wow, they were worried about you. If you were only doing yoga or something, they thought you were a hippie and all that thing. So nowadays, actually, it's coming to a point, at least in the cities like this, where there's more of an influence of this kind, you find that if you don't practice yoga, if you're not really moving a little bit in the direction of better eating, they think you're not quite aligned. Hmm. Yeah, it is an interesting kind of uh, renaissance for yoga, I feel like, recently. 
uh, you know, knowing that there's a lot of obstacles involved in everything, like how do we keep ourselves developing our willpower and keep ourselves like moving forward, knowing that there are going to be obstacles and challenges on the path? Mm, for that, I, I remember a small anecdote that I actually put in a book where the man went and asked the guru. I says, I would like to, you know, lead a spiritual life, but my life is, you know, there are too many obstacles, you know, so I cannot lead the spiritual life. And then I said, what kind of obstacles? He asked him, he says, well, I'm married, I have dog, I have this, I have that, I have taxes to pay, so many things. Then the guru told him, you, you have to learn that the obstacles are your path, meaning a part of your path. So instead of fighting life, and instead of always dividing your life into secular and my spiritual life, you just take it as one life. And whatever it is, you try to add a little bit of a spiritual element to the way you talk, the way you do your work and everything. And I think um, that is the only way to deal with obstacles is to not fight them, but use them to study them and learn from them because they're also necessary. Obstacles are wonderful teachers and failures are even the better teachers. Because uh, as James Allen says, like, you know, when a single failure can teach you about things, about yourself, more than five great teachers, you know? And simply that your own experience is the greatest teacher. And if you're gonna fight it, and if you're gonna don't not like that you failed here and you had a you know, you broke somebody's heart there, you ran away from there, you did something, all of these things are part of our learning and growing. It's actually part of dharma in many ways. Like we need to define the dharma in a, in a way that is appropriate for these times. You know, not like just an ideal life and you're living like this and you're perfectly pure and perfect all the time. These things don't exist really in the modern, modern world. But we can grow in that direction. So I think that's the way to do it. There's also methodology how to deal with things. But the definition of spiritual life is to embrace everything within your experience, even the things you abhor and things you don't like about yourself, and even your own lower tendencies, you you accept everything as a part of the, it's like your compost, you're using it to, to grow your beautiful vegetables or fruits and flowers, things like that. The willpower, I think that's the willpower. The willpower is to really, um, sorry, I've not answered that, so I'm going back to it, just one sentence or two sentences. The willpower is something that, okay, so the willpower is not developed by thinking about it. Thinking about it. The willpower is developed by doing things. So wherever the doing can be done, that willpower will be put in, you know, for right purposes, it will be like that. So where our resistance comes from is because we like to think about things, but the, when it comes to the doing, we are not sure what to do. So if that's the case, we may need the help of somebody who is a good doer, I would say. You know, there are people who are like, you know, like you're doing, life coaching. So 
you're not going to just talk to people about their life. That's not going to benefit them too much, but you're going to give them a little homework. And you're going to figure out the, some smaller steps that they can do quite well. And then that's how they begin. And I think the willpower truly is developed when you're able to, for one, integrate all these challenges into your life as a part of your growth. And then when you feel like a little bit stalled, you say, okay, let me just do it, or let me do at least the first step in conquering this, then I will be fine. I think that's kind of what I wanted to say. There's a lot more to be said about the willpower, but um, it is something that you, for one, you have to have a continue to your purpose. You have to have, you know, your mind must not be divided into thousands of the various directions. And a modern man or woman, their minds are divided in many, many ways. I mean, even for myself, it's very hard to accomplish the, the extra tasks or projects that I want you to do because the technology tends to pile also things on it. But it's also the skill, you know. Some people are very good. They can still do things. Yeah, it's, it's interesting. The time we live in now is just filled with distraction. <laughs> and so it's definitely a skill in of itself to mm. quiet some of those distractions and find focus. Very true. Yeah. Okay, so I want to be cognizant of your time. So is there anything else that we haven't covered off on that you would like to share? And by the way, I already feel like I already told Prem that we need to have another episode because I already have like a million questions I wanted to ask, but I was really holding back. <laughs> <laughs> well, thank you so much for giving this uh, space to me to say whatever was coming. I wasn't really pre-planning any of these answers, which is wonderful. Um, yeah, we should definitely have another one. I think for the end of it, to summarize it, I believe that your your thought power is absolute and not a relative because even if you believe, oh, these are minor thoughts, I don't care if they're repeated enough, they become realities in their own. And uh, we can also... if people can start to observe how when they wish some fulfillment of something, how things start to happen for that thing to materialize. And then they can start to think, okay, I can now, I want to materialize something that's really of great value to me and other people, and I will help their lives. Absolutely. Yeah, I love connecting to like the power of, of doing something for the good of others and how much that energy really boosts what we what we want for ourselves so it's powerful all right so i have a couple final questions so the first question is how would you describe your current relationship to yourself a work in progress <laughs> that's everybody says the same right i would say at this point i feel um more transparent with myself. I feel like uh, for many years I was not quite clear in my head what I... I knew what I wanted, but I wasn't quite clear in my head that all the things that I was doing were not necessarily supporting that what I wanted. And for the first time in my life, I'm getting to a point where I'm feeling 
when I'm seeing clearly that these things should be done, these things should not be done, this is where I can strengthen myself in. So actually, when I say work in progress, I really mean it in a true sense because uh, spiritual life is like that. The, you know, for many of us, they're not yet definitive ending points. I think that will happen by itself whenever it, when it comes. And um, just to really live, as you said, an authentic life is to recognize what exactly my path is. We all share the same idea, like, similar idea, this is a spiritual path, but what is my spiritual path within this whole scheme of life? And I'm finding there are lots of wonderful things, like uh, experimenting with a little food and diets and, and reintroducing some practices and eliminating uh, distracting elements. I think that's a good point. Mm-hmm. Something they may not felt that distracting, like say, for example, you can have a lot of books to read, they're all spiritual, but they're distracting. I definitely relate to that one. <laughs> <laughs> so along those lines, as a piggyback off that question is, what do you feel like following your dharma has been? Or what do you feel like your dharma is? Mm. You know, I'm a very interesting mix of people. I, I feel like my spiritual dharma is the main thing. You know, Swami Shivananda very beautifully says, uh, self-realization is your main duty. If you don't have that, all duties, however sublimes, are nothing but a form of inversion. He says that. Very mm. hard statement from a great master. So for myself, I kind of had this feeling since I was a kid. I had always, I was a black sheep in the family, always kind of stirring in a direction of some spirituality. There was one days I didn't call it that way. Uh, so for myself, I recognize that my dharma is primarily as a teacher. I mean, of course, practice, but teacher of things, specifically of things that are challenging for people to understand in the Hindu tradition. And I become like a little bit of a translator of these concepts. And I think with Sanskrit that I use as, a, as my main strength here, I, I think that's what I do. And I try to teach these things that actually support my practice, sometimes a little selfishly, you know, but I feel like it's it's good. So my dharma is mainly teaching, mm. I think. <laughs> I love that. Uh, well, it's, it's funny when you say selfishly, because uh, it's like, it reminds me of how the Dhammapada says you have to fix yourself before you fix others. And so even when it's selfish, you are in turn fixing yourself in order to help others. Absolutely, yes. <laughs> yes. I think of this a very genuine, like a, what would I say, step in understanding your own dharma is that you really have to always work on yourself. Absolutely. Absolutely. Mm. Okay. So what is something that you are currently working on? Oh, well, I am working now on, um, I'm writing my next book, which is called The Nature of Our Reality. It's a book about the the nature of our reality's pure consciousness, and then the relationship between that, what we are in our deepest sense, to the reality that we are in a relative reality of our thoughts, how they're interplaying. 
It's a very interesting experiment, but it is not foreign in, in the teachings of Vedanta. I don't, I don't think I'm going to make it too complicated. And I'm also doing a next, one book. I have already prepared material. It's on Dharma itself. It's called The Universal Laws of Dharma. So that is the current work that I'm doing. And uh, in the meantime, I'm drinking celery juice and trying to take care of this aging body nicely. <laughs> <laughs> Absolutely. I love that. I can't wait for the next books. So looking forward to that. Thank you. Okay, so what do you consider most valuable to you right now? Mm, very good question again. I don't know. I think it's uh, probably life. I'm realizing more and more that life is really a teacher and is the most valuable thing. And then within that, I do my own little practices and stuff like this. I think also most maybe the most valuable principle for me that I feel fortunate to have discovered it would be spirituality. I felt so dead without it. I have to tell you this. I have done different things in my life, but I always felt unfulfilled. And I thought and then once I was exposed to it properly, I said this is this is it, you know. So at the moment, uh, I think whatever I'm valuing now the most is probably what's been with me for, for all this life, but the truly life in itself. That's beautiful. That's really beautiful. Yeah, thank you. So what is the best lesson that you've learned recently? Oh my God, the best lesson. It will be probably something that was very painful. I would say the best lesson is the one I expected the least. Uh, since because I left the organization, you know, I had my own confusion and the middle age crisis and all these things uh, compounded together, I made that step to leave when I was really at the prime of my best uh, teaching and everything. And the rejection that I felt from people and my own anger rising towards some people, of course, not everybody, thank God. Um, that would be a lot of work. But, you know, I thought I was unforgiving in some ways and this was very painful. So I had to, it took me some years to kind of reorganize that whole process, thinking process in my mind and understand what exactly happened. Because sometimes when people are really harsh and... Uh, maybe you know they don't like you it is said commonly the the people who give you a hard time are really very very valuable teachers if you can see them as such so that lesson of um, taking that in and finding the strength to forgive somebody that I thought were really harsh and forgiving myself for making a step to do this what I wanted to do I needed to do I think it was the biggest lesson, you know. It's complex because it's, you know, when people see somebody's life in and out, they, they just simplify it. They think that's how it is. Person is in, now he's out. It's not as simple as that. So that was the biggest lesson, I think. There may be others, but the biggest one, you always found it in most challenging situations with my greatest teacher, but teachers, but I did not necessarily see them immediately as such. 
Yeah, absolutely. That's so powerful. The ability to look at the most painful moments and see the the learnings and the gifts there, mm. right? So mm. yeah, really powerful. Thank you for sharing. So the final question is, what is the number one skill you believe that everyone should work on? If you had to just pick one. <laughs> I think the main, the one skill that people should learn is to uh, be compassionate and I would say uh, affectionate. Mm. I find that there are a lot of people in this country are lacking affection. They have precision, they have everything, they have knowledge, they have everything, but there's no heart. There is a heart, but there's no affection. There's a heart that you cannot read it. So I think if people could develop that as a skill, which leads them into a good relationships and a nonviolent communication and all this thing. And not just that, it's like a, an affection and compassion and all this of valuable tools to encourage other person to grow, you know, so we'll take away all the judgment and everything that is part of our lives to a great degree. Beautiful, beautiful. Oh, I love that. Well, thank you so much again, Prem. I am so happy we managed to finally make this happen. And it has been such an honor to have you on the show. So thank you so much. Thank you, again. Jessica, so much. And I, I wish you a wonderful, um, you know, podcast future. And I'm sure there will be beautiful teachings coming from you for all your people that are following you and many others. And uh, that is my wish for you. Thank you. You're most welcome. Thank you so much for taking the time to listen to this episode of A Way of Thinking. If you love this episode, please hit the follow button and share this episode with a friend. I hope some of the beautiful wisdom shared today resonates with you and perhaps creates some change in your way of thinking. If you are looking for support in your journey, Book a free dream job discovery session with me. Take the first step into following your dharma by clicking the link in the show notes. Remember that I believe in you and I am so excited for the day that you believe in you too. Let's continue learning and growing together.